Hey everyone, welcome to the Higher Points Podcast. Um, I'm Nick Sowers here with uh, Janine Long, and she's in the podcast studio with us. Nate is doing some uh, custom uh, cu- custom hu- harvesting, custom cutting of some hemp, so he is busy today and wasn't able to make it in. So she graciously agreed to come in, and we've been waiting to do this since January, I think 31st is what I said. Yeah, January 31st of uh, 22 is how long we've been wanting to do this. That's a long time. So here we are. And so um, I'll just let you take it away about like who you are, what you do, and all that good stuff. Because okay. we, we got to hear a little bit about you, you during did. Ted's podcast. podcast okay. Do you want me to start way back when? You can, wherever you're comfortable. Okay. Well, I uh, grew up in Cimarron, out in southwest Kansas. Um, grew up and graduated from there in 1989. I'm the old one of the bunch. And I went to school in Hayes, which is where I met Ted, actually. Uh, and then when I graduated there uh, with my bachelor's in elementary education, I went back to Cimarron for 10 years. And I taught uh, in Dodge and Sublette and Cimarron out in that area. What did you teach? Like um, primary education? Sixth or? grade. Oh, okay. Taught sixth grade for I six years. That. Yeah. And then I became the counselor. Um, so I did that four years, uh, the last four years I was out there before. And then I moved to Wichita in 2004. Um, so I lived in Wichita and then I worked out in Cheney for 15 years. Uh, I was a counselor at the grade school. And then, um, in 2008, uh, I started working as a therapist in the evenings part time. And, um, so I've been doing that ever since, um, I had a brief break from that, um, in 2018. I just kind of, you know, working two jobs, I, I needed a little reprieve. So I stopped doing, um, private practice just for a brief amount of time. And then in 2019, I left the school system to work for a startup. We were creating products to help parents and educators meet the mental health needs of kids. And then when COVID, hit our investor pulled out. Um, and so I was unemployed for about six months and then made the decision in September of 20 to go into private practice full time. And I always tell people that it was the best thing that ever happened to me. You know, when you're 50 or just shy of 50 and find yourself unemployed, you know, is a head in the hands moment of, dear God, what am I going to do? You know? Um, but I absolutely love what I do. And I don't know if I ever would have made the leap from school to private practice full time. Um, but it's, it's what I was created to do. So somewhere along the, uh, the way I, uh, became a yoga teacher, um, and got certified in programs to teach yoga to kids and then to, um, um, people with PTSD, um, and became a mindfulness teacher and have a handful of certifications along the way that I integrate all of that into the work that I'm so blessed to do. So what, what is your, your educational background? Like what are your degrees in? So my bachelor's is in elementary education and then my master's is in guidance and counseling. I got that at Hayes. And then to become 
uh, I'm a licensed clinical professional counselor. So to do that in Kansas, you have to take, you have to have a total of 60 credit hours. Um, and then you work um, in a clinical setting and under supervision. And then I had to take a test and then I had to um, uh, work an, an insane amount of hours um, to take another test um, to get my clinical licensure. So I'm an LCPC. So what what are some of the other like highlights of other certifications that you have that maybe you're proud of, like the ones that you're really happy with? Um, my yoga certification, um, I'm a registered yoga teacher. And I came by that through a yoga program for kids came across my computer one day. So I spent um, about two weeks, uh, one summer in Minnesota getting trained in that program. Uh, and, and once I realized what yoga could do for mental health, that's when I, I started training as a yoga teacher. Um, and that's totally changed the work that I do. And I also integrate it into my daily um, practice of what I do. Um, but then being in, and I'm not really doing much with it right now, um, as far, you know, other than integrating it into my work with my clients, but I'm not teaching yoga classes. Um, but I, I have done some work with, um, veterans with a program called yoga warriors, and I really enjoyed doing that program. So cool. Well, so was there, was there some sort of a drive to, um, like you being drawn towards like maybe that mental health field? Was that something that like your parents did or something with your childhood? I mean, like what, what made you kind of steer you in that direction? Yeah. Uh, so I'm the oldest of four. Um, and my parents are, um, they were both counselors, both school counselors. Um, they were educators first and then became school counselors. And, uh, then my dad left the school system to go to the bank um, out in Cimarron and um, did that until he retired. But um, I have two sisters that are in education. Um, one was a, a system principal. Now she's a teacher and the other is a counselor. And then my brother's at Coke in Wichita. Okay, cool. Yeah. Well, I always wondered because, you know, sometimes there's like those you have those like trauma induced stories of like where like my, my wife had like a lot of trauma on her past. So like, she was like, I want to help people like work through that. of like that, be able to say like, I've been there, done that. Yeah. I want to help you through that kind of thing. You know, what's interesting about that is I, I was, um, in a training and I took the ACE questionnaire. Are you familiar with no. that? So it's, um, um, adverse childhood experiences. And it's what we use to kind of look at the trauma that people have experienced prior to the age of 18. Because when, when people undergo trauma prior to the age of 18, obviously we have trauma after that, but in, in those years, it, it affects them differently. It affects their bodies in a different way than it does as an adult. So it has questions about, um, like, um, are you a child of divorce? Um, you know, did you ever witness your parent, a parent being abused? Were you ever physically abused? Um, and we just kind of use it as a, 
um, starting place for working with trauma. The interesting thing about it is they, there's um, so much research out there about people with adverse childhood experiences. And it's not a predictor of, but it's um, related to illness in later you know, stages of cancer, heart disease, things like that. Um, so, you know, just another reason for people resolving that trauma, especially as, as a child. So anyway, my stories get so long. That's the beauty of the podcast. <laughs> I mean, uh, we could be here four and a half hours if you wanted okay, great, to. So. Great, great. <laughs> so anyway, I, I was in a training, we took the ACE questionnaire and, and my ACE is zero. And, uh, I was like, what am I doing? I have no business, you know, doing what yeah, I'm doing. I've had those thoughts in my career as well. Yeah. And then I, then I realized, you know, that puts me in a different position to be able to do what I do. You know, some people are like your wife and, and they want to give back, but then some people, you know, we, we just come at it from a different perspective of, you know what, I've had this really great life and I want to have, I want to help people that maybe haven't had the same experience. Yeah. Well, I, and I, throughout my, my work and my friends and my wife, I look back and I'm like, holy cow, I had this like total leave it to beaver childhood. Yeah. Like those two, just the two things that you mentioned there, the divorce. No. Uh, have I been physically abused? No. I mean, in, in today's society, they would say yes. Cause I was spanked as a child, but I, I personally don't same. perceive it that way. Yeah, um, I don't either. And people can feel free to disagree with me, but that's just my thoughts. Um, and then, you know, also the, I, you know, I never saw my dad ever, like, I never saw my parents even, like, I would see them sitting down and discussing, and you could tell that there was some tension, but it was never like that screaming or like slamming a door or I'm leaving or dad was gone for the night or, yeah. you know, anything like that. Um, and little did I know they were actually going to marriage counseling at one time. Oh, really? And all I knew was, is we went to see this cool lady and they had this badass playground and I just went and played <laughs> at the playground. Like that's all I ever knew. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's interesting because I remember one time going to a friend's house and they were fighting and it was like the knocking things off the dresser. And I was terrified. Oh, I'm sure. Absolutely. Cause I, I was, just, and I was just like, get me out of here. And yeah. I left. Yeah. Like I was like new and I couldn't even imagine being a child in that environment regularly yeah especially with a developing brain and so you know nate and i and like i love nerding out just in general but when it comes to the brain and like how things work and why they work and like when traumas happen because it is it, uh, one thing i wanted to ask you was what i was thinking there was you said from you know till they're 18 you know mm -hmm. that we handle things differently but isn't the brain still like growing and forming for a little longer than that? Like, I mean, as far as it's, it's always like ever changing, you know, right. you can damage it pretty much at any time, but like, right. don't they say it's kind of like formative years or more to like what? 25 ish, 25, 26 yeah. is when the prefrontal cortex, the newest part of the brain, the, the part where we do our rational thinking is fully developed at 25 or 26. But you have to remember the brain is directly related to the body. So when they're experiencing those things prior to the age of 18, it's not only affecting their brains, but it's affecting their bodies and their bodies remember those. Um, in yoga, we always, I had a teacher that always talk about the stories are stored in our bodies or the issues reside in our tissues. And a lot of that, that is just, um, 
it affects the body differently in a child than it does an adult. Well, I can even see it in, in like my son, for instance, this week, Saturday, he was not looking forward to a debate tournament. Uh, just because, you know, getting up in public speaking and that kind of stuff. Yeah. And then and also we've been dealing with some mental health issues with him that I've talked about many times that you've heard um, since you listen to the podcast. Um, Every week. Which is awesome. Thank you very Thank much. Thank you. We, you know, we're over 3,000 listens now. Wow. Yeah. So pretty happy with that. That's exciting. Um, and so, but to watch him manifest the stress, like he not only manifests it in you know, maybe taking out a little bit more aggression and anger on his brother and sister and maybe us and not in a like, like not me in the sense of he's fighting me, but, um, you know, maybe fighting me with words a little more, right. but you know, once that, and then, and then like, he'll start to get like diarrhea and mm-hmm. like the stomach cramps and it's butterfly feelings. And then once that stress is over 110% different kid. Oh, totally. I mean, like it's, it's like night and day difference, black yeah. and white. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, what's um, interesting about that is I used to only work, obviously I worked with kids in the school system, but when I was in private practice, I only worked with kids also. Um, and I did a lot of teaching them self-regulation skills and, you know, parents would come back the next session and say, can't get them to do what you do. And, you know, so I was trying to teach parents what I was doing so they could do some of that same thing with kids at home. Some of the stuff that you're talking about, you know, learning to recognize that. And then when I went into practice full time in order to fill my schedule, I took in some adults and I was like, I like working with adults. (laughs) And at first I thought it was because, you know, I, I worked with kids for 25 years and I thought maybe I just need a break. But that's not like me. You know, I love kids and I love working with kids. But what I have since realized is, and, and don't misunderstand me, there's a place for therapy for kids. But for me, I love working with adults and I love um, helping helping the adults learn some of the things that you've talked about. And then that way they can recognize that in their kids and then they are there to help their kids, you know, you having that understanding of what's going on in the brain and you having that understanding of what's going on in the body, you're able to help him. And if I'm helping adults, you know, resolve some of their own trauma, they are able to parent their kids in a completely different way. So, um, so it's like a trickle down effect. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's, it's an, it's shifted my entire practice and I only work with adults now. You know, I, I will say that these struggles with Eli have been probably the most insurmountable, like seeming things that I've ever done in my entire life. It's, it's being, it's harder than being married. It's harder than being a cop. It was, it's the hardest thing I've ever done in my entire life. End of story. But I would say that it has transformed me in a way to where, like, I, I responded to a call the other day where I was telling a kid, I was like, let me tell you what you're feeling. Cause I was like, I was like, put a, put a word to, I was like, first I told him, I, I asked him, I said, what are you feeling? And he was like, what? I'm like, give me an emotion, anger, sadness, mad, like, like what? And he was having trouble, you know, yeah. kind of placing and Elijah does too. Right. Of, of putting that in there. Yeah. And so I was like, how about this? Let me take some stabs in the dark. And he was like an adopted child, same way as Eli. Right. And I'm like anger. And he was kind of like, yeah, you know, loneliness yeah you know and then also like that wonder of um you know worthiness am i worthy why did my parents give me up etc and it was just kind of like 
seeing like he was kind of like whoa yeah and being able to like calm him down out of crisis to where it's like okay now we can move into the rational thought side of things right um which has really helped me throughout the course of my job yeah and uh you know like one time i was at the hospital with a kid and and you know the and i i told the doctor i was like oh i'm sorry i'm like i didn't mean to talk over you she goes uh no she's like whatever you're doing just keep doing that and we'll we'll i'm gonna go and we'll do some paperwork and stuff and and she's also the one that does the med checks with like Eli and stuff mm-hmm. too. So she knew, you she know, kind of what kind of what we're doing. Yeah. Um, and speaking on the med checks, I have some questions there too. Okay. Um, but uh, so I just, uh, I guess we could just get right into it uh, on some things. Like I, I really want to like hit some like secondary traumatic stress type things. Um, the stuff with like the media kind of keeping on edge. Yeah. Um, and then. You know, like uh, maybe talk also about some like resources and also maybe some mis- common misconceptions and things like that. So like one, I guess that's one of the questions that's kind of been on my mind is I've kind of we've kind of gone from like I, I was a very, I guess, strict would probably be the best word of like expecting like Elijah to get like A's and essentially demanding perfection of someone that can't be perfect. Mm-hmm. And Some of the damage was because of me and because of how I parented. And so we move into the crisis and then to him being hospitalized and then growing through this and also me being in therapy for a short period there and learning some things and and getting some things out as well. And then now I'm at the point where I'm like, okay, you know, we we were treating him kind of like with kid gloves on things. And Mm -hmm. I told my wife, I'm like, okay. He's in a good place now, you know, the, the medications kind of help level out to where the, the peaks aren't so high and the valleys aren't so low. And we're in this point where like some, I want him to start experiencing a little bit of life again. Like he's going to have to go out in the real world someday and experience the lows and try to do the self-soothing and try to figure out ways to navigate those. Right. And so what I'm wanting to get there is, is like, um, you know, at what point do you, because I think a lot of people sometimes, for at least my experience in, in law enforcement, and I'm, I'm not playing like I'm the expert here, is people like to sometimes let that trauma define them. Like mm-hmm. that's who I am and that's where they're always going to be and they can never like move past it. So like for me, I'm a very matter of fact person. So sometimes I want to look at my son and say, that's not that's not you. We're moving past it. We're done. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, that's that's to me. Like, But I know that's probably not the right like verbiage to yeah. use that. Yeah. So how, how do you kind of help people move past that? Like, this isn't what defines you. You There's another person that you can be. This isn't what life is. You can make it what you want it to be. Yeah. Well, first things first, I, I think a lot, I think the majority of parents are doing the best they can with what they have, right? So you parenting the way you were parented is a very natural thing, you know? So I feel like that's important to put out there first. Um, beyond that is something that my clients hear all the time is, um, it's either an explanation or it can be an excuse, right? And maybe it's the educator in me, but I spend a lot of time teaching clients about, you know, in very first session, I'm teaching them about their brain and I'm teaching about those brain flipping moments. And I teach them about their, um, you know, the connection between the mind and the body. And we talk about neuroplasticity. And so it reshapes the vocabulary that they have. And I'll never forget, I was working with a man who was, 
he was probably in his 40s and his a score was an eight and as is, I, that, is that high that's high okay as 10 is the highest it can be okay yep. so is it a, it's a zero through 10 scale yep. and the mm-hmm. higher the number the, yep. the basically the quote-unquote worst for that scale correct okay yeah uh, his was an eight, and as I'm explaining, his brain, the body, and the neuroplasticity, like his, you know, eyes are just filling with tears, and and he said, nobody has ever taught me that, and he said, I now I understand, you know, and I could just see the relief, you know, and he visibly, physically sighed, you know, and so for him, it became an explanation of. All of these things, you know, um, um, substance abuse and, and, you know, all of these things that he's experienced through his life. So trauma, it's an explanation. This is why versus an excuse. I can't do that. You know, I have trauma. It's, it's the same thing, you know, with any diagnosis, ADHD, anxiety, um, which, you know, in all fairness, full disclosure, you asked me earlier, part of my story that I left out is, is, uh, not intentionally, but I have an anxiety disorder and it's been a part of me. I, I can think about things in kindergarten that I know were anxiety based. We just didn't know it was anxiety at the time. And that's been quite a journey for me. I was 37 before I, actually sought therapy for myself and, and saw a therapist for a while, stopped. And, you know, that's been something I've done on a couple different occasions and, and was even on medication for a short amount of time. Um, but you know, it's become an important piece of what I do. I feel like I have an understanding with clients. I work with a lot of clients with anxiety and they'll often say, you just get it in a different way. And, and I'm completely honest with them. Um, but there again, anxiety for me could be an excuse for a lot of things. And it has been, you know, at different points in my life, can't do that. I'm too anxious or, you know, I wasn't going to say that out loud, but, (laughs) you know, but then it became, um, I guess in some ways a good excuse because it, what drew, it's what drove me to become a yoga teacher. It's what drives me to do a lot of what I do. So, um, Yeah. So that was also, in a way, also kind of therapy for you in the sense of it gave gave you the opportunity to find that was your self-suit. That was your way to overcome what was basically holding you back. Dude, the joke in my family, are you doing that for your clients or for yourself? (laughs) And I'm like, if it benefits everybody, what's the big, it doesn't matter. Win, 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 win. Yeah. Yeah, Win, win, win. Yeah. So um, you talked a little bit about the anxiety and, and I will say, I, I can't ever remember a time ever of being anxious about anything until probably um, this this stuff with Eli, the catalyst of woe, like that that like earth shattering moment where I realized that my son was having suicidal thoughts. Right. And so then to me the anxiety. Now I find myself, you know, the. Where is he at? Is he safe? You know, mm-hmm. w- once I know that he's home and he's in his bed, that's kind of where it, well, I'm good. And, right. and I don't do that all the time. Yeah. It just depends. Like days that I know he's angry. And one of the safe spaces that he identified was just there's a field behind our house with trees, which is where he went and was, you know, saying he was going to hang himself. So when they put that in the safety plan, I was like, is that a good idea? 
Um, but you know, again, just through parenting and trusting the process of like, he goes out, he does whatever it is he does out there and he comes back in and it's different, you know, and rather than just, you know, harping on him constantly. So what I'm getting at on the anxiety side is, is it's, it's interesting. It's an interesting feeling. It's almost like those times when you, you make plans with people and you're like, yeah, like, like today I was like so excited for today, but I have to admit like about 45 minutes before we were supposed to be here. A little bit of the anxiety started hitting of like the, like, how's it going to go? Is it still going to be fun? Is it going to be organic? Like, is it going to go like, or am I going to ask questions the right way? You know, and so you get those. Um, so when it comes to anxiety, um, you know, like I have, I have a question on that. So like for me, I'm pretty hard on myself because I feel, you know, like we're rooted in scripture of like a man will like kind of leave his family and basically kind of create and have his own family. And I also subscribe to a little bit of the stoicism and the stoic mindset in the sense of if I can't control it, I try to let it fall off mm-hmm. or the whole leave it at the cross type concept. Right. But I'm, I'm exceptionally hard on myself in the sense that I look at myself in the mirror and I say, like, you're doing a good job, but there's always room for improvement. And so sometimes it's like there's this never ending cycle of you got to be better. So mm-hmm. is there a point with which that, I guess, maybe becomes... A bad thing. Unhealthy. Yeah, unhealthy. There we go. That's the word I'm looking for. Yeah. It's almost like you do this for a living or something. Oh, I know. Wow. How about that? Um, you know, can I have one of those? Yeah. You talk about things and I'm like, oh, I got to talk about this. I got to talk Why about this. Why do you this. think I'm making notes I doing know. the exact I same thing? I the same thing. It's like I've done this before. Oh, right? <laughs> um, okay. You mentioned something that I think is important for me to touch on. And then you're going to have to like remind me what the question is. Cause you know, I'll forget. So you were talking about doing something instinctually with, um, Eli. And I think that's the thing that you have to focus on is I have a lot of parents that I work with and, um, they'll say, you know, I, well, I read this in this, um, on this blog that I follow or this, you know, this person that I follow posted this on social media. And sometimes they get so bogged down in that or they'll learn a parenting program and then, you know, they'll say, well, in the moment I couldn't remember what I was supposed to do. And I always say, follow your instincts, right? Um, even though, how old was Eli when you he was little, right? Uh, he would have been in fifth grade when it's like we first kind of came to that realization that he was like it was kind of mounting up on him. So uh-huh. what is that like 12, 12, 10, 12, 10, 11, 12, somewhere around there? Yeah. So and how old was he? He was little when you came into his life, right? He, Andrew was still pregnant. With oh, him. that's right. Yeah. That's right. Um, so. You know, those instincts of knowing what to do with him have been developing, you know, for years. And so even in fifth grade, when that started, like, yeah, you're anxious about it and you're scared, but always go back, trust your gut, you know, those instincts that are there of what to do. And, and yeah, you're seeing, you saw a therapist and and you learned some tools, but those all become part of that gut instinct to know what to do in that moment. Um, talking about, you know, going to the field, there's so much research out there on nature and nature in and of itself can be so nurturing. So yeah, is it scary to think about him going out there to that place? Yes, but that's also a place where he can find a, a lot of 
nurturing. Well, too. that's what he identified as well. Of yeah. Like, that's kind of what I want. Yeah. So that's yeah. the important part there, too. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Wanted to mention those. Um, okay. What was your question? I forgot. So, oh, I was just <laughs> talking basically about like that. You know, as from a parenting aspect and, and from just a, a person aspect in general, whether you're a man or a oh. woman, whether you're married or unmarried, of yeah. just essentially kind of holding yourself, yourself a little bit too much of a higher standard. I had a 15 year old young man break me down into tears in the gym when he looked at me and said, he's like, Hey, uh, I'll try not to cry here. He said, Hey man, give, give yourself a little bit of grace. Yeah. Because uh, he knew what was going on with Eli because he was struggling with some of the same things. And, you know, he his parents kind of had abandoned him. And so, yeah. Um, but like just uh, just give yourself a little bit of grace, like stop being so hard on yourself. Right. You know, kind of right. thing. So like what, basically when does that, I guess, become unhealthy? Unhealthy. Right. I think the answer to that is, you know, it varies from one person to the other. Yeah. Right. Obviously based on, you know, their nervous system. But when it becomes uncontrollable right the anxiety that you experienced before you came here was that anxiety that helped you prepare right of when i came in here you had i could tell that you had jotted some things down that's a healthy amount of anxiety because it helped you be prepared if it was anxiety to the point where you couldn't concentrate you couldn't function you couldn't move away from it that's when it becomes unhealthy you know it's kind of that double-edged sword. I love how much people are talking about mental health, but sometimes the I worry because the conversation has become so great about I have anxiety. I have anxiety. I have everybody has anxiety. Yeah. You know, anxiety is a part of who we are. We want to have anxiety so we don't, you know, go out here in the middle of the street and do stupid shit. You know, yeah. anxiety is a good thing in that way. Um, but you know, when it, um, reaches that point where, like I said, it's, it's unhealthy, it's because we can't move away from it or it's our, it's our sole focus. And well, it's interesting you say that because the, the note that I'm making right now is one of the things I told my therapist was I was one of the anxieties that I had was if I'm acknowledging this and I'm acknowledging these feelings and these things that I'm feeling like, am I going to perpetually now be in this loop of like now it now that's what defines me now that's who I am like how do I get out of out of that loop of I'm, I'm feeling this I'm feeling this anxiety or this sadness or this anger because there were so many things wrapped up in there angry at myself you know angry at Elijah for some of the things he did so on and so forth of like I was really worried about like now that I've acknowledged this how do I now like move past it so it's not like this perpetual like waves rolling and just hitting you know hitting the shore over right. and over and over well i think you use the important word it's acknowledgement right like i acknowledge this anger i acknowledge this anxiety and the next step after acknowledgement is acceptance right this i'm angry about this now i i can accept that i'm angry about this help my help yourself understand why and then move past it and, and I think that's a point that's important for me to make is I've heard you three times now talk about acknowledging emotions. And do you have any idea how many males, number one, they don't identify emotions. They won't acknowledge 
or even begin to accept their emotions, but you are very well versed in that. And you're helping your, not only your son, but these kids, you know, that you're having these very meaningful conversations with. I mean, you have no idea the difference that you're making with them. Yeah. But the downside is I've only got what, 30 minutes with them sometimes but, versus, you know, their, their families and their life. And like, there's, there, there's true. that other 23 and a half hours a day that I'm not there. True. But you're planting a seed. And, you know, sometimes that seed is there and it grows at a different point, but you're at least planting that seed. Yeah. Um, well, and it's also a, a, con- a foreign concept to me to not acknowledge it in a way. And that was never something that, um, and uh, she doesn't listen to the podcast, so I'll say this. My mom is very much not like on board with this whole like mental health and medicine and all that mm. other kind of stuff. And my mom grew up a adult child of an alcoholic. Uh, and so, you know, she's very much of the like pull yourself up by your bootstraps kind of, you know, thought process on some things. So this has been interesting because um, she is held in very high regard in my mind. Right. Um, so battling some of that and realizing what is healthy and what's unhealthy for me has been an interesting experience. Right. But so never did I ever remember saying like, well, what are you feeling? Like uh, never that. But I mean, I have those conversations with Eli of like, what are you feeling right now? And sometimes it's like, I don't know. And I have to just, okay. So where did you learn that? <sighs> I don't know. Who modeled that for you? I don't know. I can't think of one. Really? Yeah. I have no idea. It's coach, teacher. I didn't do sports. Oh, true. <laughs> uh, I mean, I did baseball, but that was like until just high school. So I, I don't. I don't really know. Um, maybe, maybe my wife, because you know she she worked in you know mental health with kids in St. Francis and uh, before St. Francis was awful. Anyway, um, and like Horizons and stuff like that, and yeah, and everything. So maybe maybe that's where because because you know I used to be that like shut it down like we'll talk yeah. about it later kind of thing and she was just like no she would always fight like no we need to like talk about this kind of stuff good for her um and and you know it's it's definitely been a growth process on yeah. both sides right but it's it's also weird to me because i it just doesn't make sense to me i'm like you how do you expect to progress or be better or anything if you're not willing to just because it is it's very natural it's right. very natural to be happy it's also very natural to feel a depressive feeling right um, from time to time, again, as long as it's not unhealthy, right. you know, and the point with which it becomes unhealthy, seeking that, that assistance. Right. Well, it's just like anger, you know, even early on in my career, you know, we were talking to kids about managing, managing your anger, your anger, not getting angry. Well, everybody gets angry. Yeah. You know, it's a healthy emotion. What's unhealthy is the way we express it sometimes or the way we don't express it. Well, and, and another thing I was reading, uh, um, uh, raising emotionally intelligent children. Yeah. Uh, it's a book and, and you probably know it maybe. Um, but anyway, in there, he was like, I didn't realize that I was being one of those parents. Like I would literally like, if my kids were feeling sad or mad or whatever, like I was that parent that would like tickle them to get them to become back to that happy state. Yeah. Which I, after reading that was like, that's not the, while that's not awful. Right. That's not probably the most healthy thing because, again, they are going to experience those emotions later on in life and they need to know how to feel them and how to work through them. Right. And watching that is like it's almost like sometimes it's almost like watching your kid jump off this cliff knowing they're going to break their legs. Right. Like I want to tell you stop. Don't. Yeah. 
but there are times that, you know, not that kids breaking the legs is healthy, but right, just right. illustrating the point. Right. Um, the, be- the best way I like to explain parenting is it's like taking the most razor sharp knife you have ever seen in your life, taking this delicate banana and trying to balance it on top of this without cutting it or damaging it in any way. Yeah. Like it is, it is literally sometimes that fine on things. And then it's also very different with each kid. So that's even more maddening as well. You know, I had a parent, um, let's see, it was probably my third or fourth year. I was a teacher and she said, you know, I'm, I'm not going to listen to a thing you have to say. You're not a parent. You don't know what it's like. I, you know, we're done here. And that stuck with me and it probably negatively affected me in for a lot of years. Um, but it's, you know, probably drove me to um, educate myself more. But even with all the education in the world, you know, to be a parent and to actually be there, it's the hardest job in the world. I, uh, I just, I can't imagine. Yeah, it's, it's not, it's not always it's not always awful. Like I sit in here sure. and I talk about sure, the sure. bad things, but like, cause there are times that it's phenomenal. Like I've got a, one of my favorite videos that I've ever seen is I'm getting out of my patrol car, walking up to the house and my children are literally running to the door. Brooklyn's small enough. She's still in one of the packing place, jumping up and down because uh, she's so happy to see me. Yeah. So it's, it's not all that, but yeah. you know, I, it's hard because when you're in the moment and you're in the minutia and you're in that valley, the yeah. valley seems so deep and insurmountable and dark and yeah. like you can't see anyone else around you. And it seems like everybody else in today's day and age of social media, uh, yeah. everyone else is on the mountaintop. Oh, everybody yeah. up there is living the life. Right. And again, another thing I'm telling my kids is, is everyone else is struggling just like you. They may not be struggling with depression. Right. Maybe they're struggling with substance abuse. Maybe they're struggling with a parent that doesn't love them or maybe they're struggling with uh, um you know, a divorced household, like they're struggling in some way. And it's pretty interesting because Eli starting to identify that. Yeah. And he'll go, Hey, I was talking to so-and-so today. He goes, I didn't realize it. He goes, he goes, but she or he are struggling the same way as me. And so now we have some common ground. And I said, you never know what you may be accomplishing there because they may have never started talking about it had it not been for you. Right. And so that's like, when things come, come up like that, I'll be the first person to break the ice. Yeah. Like I'll just throw it out there. Yeah. And then you watch the group just from there, just poof, yeah. it's like an explosion. Right. Right. Um, so back on to, you know, the anxiety. So a common way, at least that, that I've seen in, in my job and then also with Eli was the first, I shouldn't say the first step because we, I, I was really hesitant to just want to give my kid pills. Like yeah. that was my hesitation. Right. Not to say that I was dead set against them because that's not what I was, but we work through a lot of things of like maybe if we go camping and get away from things or like what we, you know, all these different things. And then when like they didn't work and we finally kind of had that realization of we've tried things. The only thing we really haven't tried is hospitalization and maybe medication. Right. And so that is what is so far working and helping. So I'm curious of what I've noticed is during the summer when Eli wasn't in school, Mm -hmm. the peaks and valleys were, you know, more like a sine wave, yeah. like a really mm-hmm. manageable sine wave. Right. Now that school started, those peaks and valleys are a little bit more defined. Yeah. 
So when we go for a med check, is that something, and even if other parents are thinking this as well, that may be listening in, should we maybe look at increasing doses for temporary periods of time, leave it the way it is? And again, you're probably going to say it depends on the kiddo and stuff like right. that. But right. I'm just curious of what your thoughts on that are. You're right. It depends on the kiddo. Um, you know, every person's body metabolizes medication differently, right? So that's always something to consider um, you know, as far as advice when it comes to meds, but yeah, I think that's important to mention to the doctor because that person is with you for 15 minutes and, you know, you have this huge all encompassing view that you can give them. But, you know, you think about the summer and the stressors aren't there in the same way that they are when school starts. Um, you know, my my two bits on meds, of course, I, I don't prescribe medication, um, but here's here's the way I explain it. And for me, it was this way, too. I remember the first time I was in therapy, you know, I was just so exhausted of dealing with anxiety, you know, it was just consuming my life. And I remember saying to my therapist, you think I need meds? She's like, no, you know, we're, we're going to do some therapy. You'll be good. Um Summers were always hard for me because I had so much extra time on my hands and that's when my anxiety would just, you know, get really, I really didn't get, have anywhere to put your brain power. Dude, got all wrapped around the axle <laughs> during the summer. So one summer, uh, I recognized it was getting worse and I kept thinking when I go back to school, you know, it'll be better. When school started, I couldn't get out of bed. I, I mean, I had reached the point of depression. So I went back to the therapist. She's like, you need, I think you need to see the doctor for meds. I'm like, I don't need meds. You need meds. So here's the way I look at it. So when you're at a certain level, you're accessing your tools, right? Eli can access his tools when his, he's functioning at this level. Sometimes we're functioning down here, you know, and if this is the point that we have to be functioning up here to access our tools, we have to have something to bridge this gap. And so meds can do that to where we can access those tools. And that's what happened to me. I was way down here. So I had to have meds for a certain amount of time to raise my my level of functioning so I could access the tools that I knew how to use. Um, and then that's when yoga came in and... Um, I started meditating. I started doing all of these mind body practices and changing, you know, trying to change the way I eat and move my body and developed enough tools that I don't have to take meds anymore. But me and when things get really stressful, I'm like, maybe I should start meds again. <laughs> you know what I mean? But those are all important things to bring to the doctor. Um, and yeah, there's probably certain times when meds can increase and when they can be lowered. But again, it's, it's all depends on the individual. Um, so at what point do you kind of then maybe make the decision of, cause that was something I talked to Eli. He had a huge aversion to medication. Mm -hmm. I mean, in the sense he, he somehow perceived medication as making him weak. And, and I'm not, I have no idea where that came from because never once was that something that was ever said by Andrea or I. Right. So getting him to take that, you know, cause at first it was kind of like that we're going to trust you, you know? And then mm -hmm. I went and I was, I was counting the pills behind the scenes. Like, oh, you know, mm -hmm. I knew where the pill bottle was just right. to kind of see. Yeah. And you know, there was like 15 days that hadn't been taken and I'm like, whoa, like big deal, you know? Yeah. And, 
And so we've since kind of, and he did the whole, you know, I forgot kind of thing. And so I'm right. like, okay, here it is every day. Watch it, take it. I'm not doing the whole prison show me under your tongue or anything. Right. Uh, but you can definitely tell. Yeah. <laughs> you can definitely tell if a couple of doses have been missed. Yeah. Um, you can tell. But when do you kind of make, maybe make the decision to, like maybe we should try to wean off this because that was one thing I told him. I'm like, hey, there's no – you don't have to do this for the rest of your life. It's not like this is some death sentence. Yeah. Like when when does that when does that kind of happen? Usually for a lot of people, it's, you know, when their mood seems to be um, stabilized and they're able to access their skills consistently. And, you know, you can look at a period of, you know, maybe we can start backing off meds a little bit, you know. Obviously, with, you know, the doctor's recommendation, yeah, right. because sometimes people will stop taking meds just cold turkey and you should never do that. But, you know, the doc talking to the doctor about reducing the dosage a little bit. And, OK, how are we doing? Are we using our skills? Are we using our tools? Mm, no, got to go back. You know, it's just kind of playing with it a little bit. Um, Something I didn't know about until probably the last two or three years is a gene site tests. Are you familiar with that? Hmm. So it's something the doctor can give um, that will help people um, see which medications oh, metabolize okay. best. I have heard about this. Yeah, within their bodies, and and you get a list. You know, the green lists are these are these are medications you should take. Yellow. Maybe, maybe not. Red, these are not going to yeah, do. Yeah, I, I've seen them a lot when in, in my line of work when we're dealing with people that have some of the more, I guess, quote-unquote rare mental illnesses like bipolar schizophrenia mm -hmm. um, or maybe they're on the spectrum and maybe we're trying to figure out what meds are going to work. They really like to use those because it's kind of yeah. – it's a, maybe a little harder to get them to talk about how right. they're feeling and what they're feeling and stuff. Yeah. So yeah. I've heard about that. Yeah. So – but um, so so basically, if if I can just paraphrase on that, is essentially, again, really no black and white rule, but just a conversation. So should that be a conversation with therapist, doctor, all around, kind of what we're feeling, what we're seeing, and then with doctor's recommendations, kind of decide like we're weaning down off of that. Yeah. And doctor, therapist, Eli, mom, dad, yeah. yeah. Everybody, you know, I'm a firm believer in that integrated, holistic, everybody involved therapy. Yeah. Treatment. We, well, and that's that's one thing that we've told his therapist, like we're all on board, like even Brooklyn and Alex are like, we'll go to yeah. um, of just like, you know, talking through things because I like to tell him of like, this is how you're making me feel. Right. Not just only like I know how you know how I'm making you feel like maybe when I hold you accountable and you don't like that. Right. Um, but like also so that he can kind of see because, you know, there are times he can be downright rude mm -hmm. and every kid can, not yeah. just him. Right. But, you know, I, I try to illustrate those points when somebody's doing it back to him. Yeah. Like this is a taste of your own medicine. See how you're being made to feel. So I agree with that approach. And she's like, you know, still kind of trying to break through some of that exterior with mm -hmm. him of yeah. of doing that. She's like, so I'm I'm very much on board with that. But, you know, I'll let you know when we're kind of ready type thing and i've just trusted that process yeah um so but w at what point do we now then get into where like maybe medication is a crutch because i have seen times where you know it's, it's almost like you know you it's i'm just illustrating a point here i've never seen this but it's like somebody takes their medication and they swallow it and that's their last one and now they move into crisis because now they're out of meds mm -hmm. you know or you know i can't get to that or you know i missed one day and now it's like like back into like full fledged 
we haven't made any progress crisis mode. Um, is that something like, um, uh, I'm trying to illustrate this point without sounding crass, but like, I've just, I guess I'm, sometimes I see, uh, see things where maybe sometimes medications are maybe over prescribed or even used as a crutch mm-hmm. sometimes. Yeah. And, and so what, what's your experience with that? I mean, do you have people that like just completely rely on that of like, just like give, I need, I need my doctor to prescribe me a fuck at all. And that way everything's well, yeah. fine. <laughs> yeah. Well, even me, I'm like, that's why it's sad. Sometimes it's, I just think to myself, oh, life would be easier if I went back on my meds because I mean, I, I get up hours before I have to go to work because I'm very intentional about how I show up with my clients. So I allow time for the gym. I allow time for prayer, meditation, yoga, because I know I need all of those things to get my body and my brain in a place where I can offer my best self to my clients. And would my life be simpler for I could just do all of that with meds? Absolutely. You know, but it, it, for me, it, it was a decision of I'm going to go off meds. I'm going to try it without, see what I can do. Always knowing that if I need to go back on, I can. Right. So I think it becomes a personal decision. Uh, it, you know, obviously there are things where people are going to have to be on meds the rest of their lives, but yeah. yeah. Well, um, see, cause like, like some of the, uh, aversion that I've seen, at least among, like law enforcement officers and first responder professionals are you can lose your certification for mental health reasons. Now it's not like every time a, an officer goes on an antidepressant KC post, which is the Kansas commission on peace officer standards and training. They're basically the people that say you're a cop. Um, it's not like every time you go on an antidepressant, like they're pulling people's certifications. But I think that's a little bit of the aversion to first responders and cops even acknowledging any of it. What is that? Uh, tell me what that means, certification, like certification to. Yeah, as a be law a enforcement cop? officer. Yeah, so you have to go to the 14, you have to go to a 14 week academy. Right. At which point you get a certification from KC Post to be a law enforcement officer. So if you're getting mental health treatment you, you could, you could yes. lose your certification to and, be a and police never, officer and potentially never be a law enforcement officer ever again it's in statute what the hell i agree so if you were sitting on some sort of a board or some sort of because like let's face it there there are times that and i'm going to use a really overarching term that may make you cringe okay but there are times that you know sometimes people are just broke and yeah. sometimes broken uh, maybe beyond repair right? Um, because of maybe what they've experienced. right? And so if you were sitting on some sort of a board and you were being questioned by a governing authority like the legislature or whatever because they were looking to change that law, like what were some things you'd advocate for? Because obviously we need to make sure that our law enforcement officers are mentally healthy. They have to make life and death decisions in an instant. But at the point with which, again, here we are, that, that sharp knife I was talking about and balancing the banana, where do we then draw the line with to where law enforcement officers and first responders? Cause I don't, I don't know what it's like in the fire and EMS world. Um, but to where they don't have to be fearful of admitting that and getting help. Like how, how do you, if you were to ask, being asked that question, how would you change that to make it more accommodating? What would you say? To make mental health more accommodating? Yeah. So to where you wouldn't have to be worried about being, you know, lose your certification. 
Like, where do you draw the line? Well, okay, so let's look at it this way. Why, why could you potentially lose your certification? Like other reasons other than that? No, with the mental health. So I, I have mental health issues. I could potentially lose my certification as a police officer. It's basically kind of broad in the sense of you have, like, if you're found to be kind of like unfit or whatever, um, I can, I, I can maybe find the statute while we're sitting here talking, but, um, because I was, I was looking at it because there was a, a gentleman that was like going through, um, uh, going through that process where he was at work, got dispatched to a baby that he performed CPR on and the baby did not live. Uh-huh. And he took that very hard right. at which point he sought mental health treatment. Um, and then I have to keep in mind that there's three sides to every story, his, right. his, hers, and the truth. Right. Um, but if you go, cause you can read, um, what are called certification actions. So you can go in and read why somebody had action against their certification. Like you can read the whole, it's an open record thing as to why they went through it, why they did it. And in there it has the, um, it has the reason like it has, it cites the statute of like what they're talking about. And in there, I remember reading in his that that was one of the things that the statute talked about. And I was just looking at that because again, I am a mental health proponent. Um, but again, I do realize that there are times that, you know, maybe people sure. shouldn't be law enforcement officers right. anymore based on that. But I was reading that and I was like, whoa, like that was kind of, uh, very broad, I guess. Well, and that's probably what I would say. It needs to be more defined because, yeah, there are going to be um, instances where you don't want them, you know, doing their job. But I guess I would look at that as why would you not want them getting help? You know, there's so much out there about the benefits of mental health and what happens if we don't resolve trauma and, you know, PTSD. And I, I guess my question would be why, like I said, why, why wouldn't you want them to get home? I think it needs to be discussed and I think it needs to be more defined. Yeah. And so that kind of brings me a, a great segue into the next point is um, I just recently learned the term um, although it's not something that is new, but, and I'm sure there's like 5,000 other terms that for the same thing, but secondary traumatic stress. And I learned that from Bill Howard that we've had on a couple yeah. of times. And, and so I'd never really thought about it. And then I had, after having uh bill on, we had a pot or had a car accident mm. with a gentleman that, um, he lost his wife and I was, you know, taking him food, inviting him to church and, you know, he, I, I, you know, he definitely was not into any of that kind of stuff and I wasn't pushing it, you know, I wasn't oh, like, to church. yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and so he gets into a car accident. He's very badly hurt. Mm. Um, at which point I'm like trying to like break this window to get into this oh car. My gosh. And, um, you know, I then am blocking traffic mm. and, and I didn't know it cause I, I, I you, you hear autopilot all the time sometimes like, yeah. I just was there and I was working like there's, right. that's all there is to it. Like I, I can't explain any other yeah. emotion. What you do. And so I'm, I'm blocking traffic and I call my pastor and I'm like, Hey, remember that guy I told you about? Cause I was like, I'd given him my pastor's card and so on and so forth. And I was like, you know, 
was like, can, can we pray for him really quick? And like, cause he's hurt. And the point with which I like acknowledge that, like just started bawling, you yeah. know, because it was just someone like I'd kind of yeah. taken, I guess, an interest in. Um, but, but also even in times where, you know, it's, it's not, uh, somebody that's maybe that close, but you're not, you're not a subject of the trauma, but you're there with the person right. that is the, the subject of the trauma. So right. you see it in, in doctors and in yeah. firefighters, EMS, police officers, military professionals. And I would even assume also therapists because Absolutely. you're literally reliving trauma with those people. So right. that was another question I had was like, how do you deal with the secondary trauma? Like, do you, are you required in any way to like seek, um, no. Like to talk once a year with someone or something no. or. No. Which huh. is interesting, isn't it? Yeah. Well, so so I think you answered some of that in your mindfulness of like you've got your tools in your toolbox and how you start your day. Which is something I learned today because I'm literally that guy that shows up to work like five minutes before I have to be there. So. <laughs> well. Probably not the best. Well, I. Something think, to shoot for. And I think, again, that depends on the individual because you have to remember <clears throat> with my anxiety, I, I wake up and my anxiety is already amped, you know, my blood sugar's low or that's just, I mean, that's how my body's wired to be anxious. So I have to bring that down. Um, so for me, it's a necessary to start my day that way. Um, again, I had a yoga teacher say the way you start your day is your day. So if you're that person that's, you know, pushing snooze, running out the door, pants on fire to get to work no probably not the best way to start your day <laughs> that's literally me <laughs> that is like literally me. that I'll, is literally me i'll leave you a card <laughs> <laughs> um okay so secondary trauma you know what's interesting is when you were talking about that accident so you're in the mode right you're doing your job and and that's kind of what you do you know that's for me too um like when i was a counselor and i had to respond to a crisis you just go you do it you get into that and and you it's what you're trained to do right but that moment when you um started talking about praying for him you shifted into that personal right and that's why you started crying because that that wall that you have to put up to do your job, it you broke through that. And that's good. That's good that you can do that, you know. But it's, I think it's having conversations like this. It's having conversations at work about um, secondary trauma. Um, you know, and, and I rely on people in my life to say, you know, have you taken time off or you seem stressed, you know, cause no, we're not required. We're not required to, to talk to anybody. Um, I, I guess it, it's important to have people call you out on your shit. <laughs> well, and, and, and that was another interesting learning experience too, for me as, as again, I aspire to leadership roles. Yes. And so to me, when, after that happened for the next two, maybe three days, the fire that burns inside me that is law enforcement yeah. rather than being a bonfire was more like a Bic lighter in the sense of 
you know, the, the fire was still burning. It just wasn't burning as hot. So like if I got a call or I had to handle an issue or whatever, like I could, you know how they have the adjustable, you yeah. know, where you could turn the fire out. Like yeah, yeah. I could turn it up if I needed to. Right. But like it was very much kind of extinguished in my brain and like my brain felt very heavy. I felt like a cloud. And so I kind of, I've kind of started to recognize that. And for me, my, my kind of like soothing self mechanism or like self soothing mechanism is, is like, I am very recluse mm-hmm. and I like to take my thoughts and just mull them over and abstract them and pull them apart and put them back in different ways. Right. And then once I'm done with that process of the abstract thought and moving it and I can move it into the more logical plane, then I'm ready to talk about it. Then I'm ready to move forward. And so it's interesting because I've seen other officers that, you know, can get quote unquote retired on duty where they're not going out and stopping cars. They're not going out and looking for the bad guys. And if they do show up for calls, maybe they're not doing the best job. And that's kind of helped me recognize and see that and mm-hmm. want to say what's going on at home. Right. You know, what's or what happened at work, maybe like what call. Yeah. And, you know, and recognize that. And, and a lot of times you're going to get the whole like, oh, I'm fine. Everything's fine. Yeah. You know, um, yeah. You know, and and there, at some point, what, what can you do with that? I mean, you can't pull it out of them. You yeah. know, this isn't Harry Potter where I put a wand on my head and pull my thoughts out, you know, right, right. or their thoughts out. Right. But it's helped me recognize that more readily because I w- used to be of the mindset of like, I wanted to paper that person out of a job. Like you're, you're, you're not doing a good job. You're not being a good cop. Yeah. And, uh, you know, God has helped temper me, has yeah. helped kind of keep me out of leadership roles, even though I wanted to be in them to help teach me those lessons. Right. Right. And so, um, you know, and I, I also feel like if we're, you know, if on the secondary traumatic stress, I feel like when we were talking about the media is I think that we're being exposed to secondary traumatic stress every single day on social media and in on the news and it's like it's like micro in a way oh. and, they, and and micro and it's like just stacking up and stacking up and stacking up. Yeah. And yeah. And then because I can tell you the way I felt as a person when I turned all of that stuff off and I just mm-hmm. had the realization of what am I doing? Right. And turn that off is right. I think that that we and I don't know if it's intentional or if it's if it's on accident or they've realized that oh well okay now we can profit off of this or what but what do you think it is i know i think think oh i think it's profit driven we need it we're gonna have that conversation when ted and i come back okay well because because i think that those big companies they pull people in like you not necessarily you because i don't don't think you would you know sell your soul this way but like i'm saying like okay if you really want to get into people's brains here's what you do right and then here's how you make the money off that and sell ad space yeah um so turning that stuff off has been very That's good. Huge. And and telling my kids like put the phone down. Right. And like when we're in the car and we're driving to Hutch, put it down. Let's talk. Yeah. Like give your brain that break and, and then your also body. telling them. Yeah, and the, and the body. I yeah. Mean, everything uh mental manifests itself as yeah. physical. Yeah. Well, in your nervous system. I mean, think about what's happening to your nervous system every time you turn on the news and you see that. I was, uh, I listened to a podcast not too long ago and it was about, um, uh, it was titled why I don't watch horror films anymore. I hate horror films. Me Never too. have liked them. Never Ugh. have liked them. My mom used to, I hate them. Anyway, yeah. sorry to interrupt you. Um, she was talking about how, and 
you have to remember brain geek talking to brain geek here. Like we could talk brain all day long. Uh, she was, it, it, it was, I, I'm not going to do it justice, but she was talking about how your brain cannot tell the difference between this is something I'm watching on TV yes, right. and this is something that's actually happening to me. Yeah. Right? You're, you're feeling the same, yeah. the same effects. Yeah. Like it's releasing the same, chem- yeah. the ne- same neurotransmitters in and, your brain. Yeah. And, and your brain doesn't know whether or not this truly happened. And so, Back to the cumulative effect of that, you know, when you're watching the news and you see that story, every time that comes up, um, you know, that has an effect, yes, to your brain, but it also affects your body. And that over time is going to affect your nervous system and it's going to alter your nervous system and your, you know, how your brain responds are all tied together. Um. Two things that I thought of when you were talking, um, you were talking about that fire, you know, and that fire became just that small flame. That right there is a reason for mental health for first responders. So that person that doesn't recognize that in themselves, I mean, you, you can turn it back on, but you have tools right? You have the education, but that person that doesn't have tools or that person that doesn't understand what's happening to their brain and to their body, how do they ever get that fire lit again? Right? They don't. I've they seen don't. it. I've seen it. Yeah. They don't, you know, and it's like in the episode that you guys were talking about, um, I think it was with Bill, you know, leadership that isn't out on the job anymore, right there. Perfect example, you know, of just that, how not having that opportunity to go out and do that work, you know, has its um, effect over time. Same thing with mental health, you know, that fire is going out because they're not getting help with those issues. So with that being said, I've seen a lot of law enforcement agencies that have transitioned into kind of forced, forced, I say, I mean, Mm -hmm. required, mandatory, whatever word you want to put there, but as cops see it, forced. Um, like yearly visits at the, at the very least with a mental health professional of some kind and, and not in the sense of like a fit for duty, but just in a, how you doing, you know, kind of thought process. And so what, what do you, what do you Hold feel on. on that? They go one time. So I say that's the minimum. Yeah. Well, Okay, so for therapy to really, and maybe they're doing some sort of assessment or something, but for therapy to really do what it needs to do, you have to be with a person that you've established rapport and have a relationship with. And, you know, the first session, yeah, you are coming in and you're opening up, but you're not going to open up in the same way that you are in the fifth or sixth session after you, you know, have rapport with this person and have a relationship. So, yeah, it's it's great that they are having that check-in once a year, but hopefully that check-in is more than one session, you know. So, because that's going to be one of my passions, should I make it there, is... is No, so, no, no. When? We're going to say when. No, we're going to go with if. <laughs> you said manifestation earlier. Uh, we're going to well, go with that. Yeah, well, uh, it's just one of the... It's, um, it's one of those things of, uh, again, for me and my, in my brain, that's the, that helps keep that drive for me. Like I, 
the be- I guess let me just illustrate the best way. If I say when I make it there, I feel cocky. Okay. I feel like like I'm I'm entitled like I'm I'm saying I'm entitled to something. All allowance. And so that's where that's why I say if because okay. I still firmly feel like I am inadequate in a lot of ways. Just like you talked about, like when that parent told you, yeah, you know, because again, I've never had to really truly lead people. I have in crisis a couple of times and got some kudos for it, but yeah. The day to day, quote unquote, mundane. The the one time that I did it. Now that I've been a corporal, I got my proverbial pee pee slapped, and so yeah, that has also not helped the mental right. side of that. Yeah. But anyway, so back on subject. Um. So how how do you do this regularly? Because every time you're gonna, you're always gonna hear, especially from old school cops. You know, it costs too much. I don't have enough people to do it, et cetera, et cetera. And even in today's world of finding enough people to, you know, kind of cover shifts, like now how do we find the time to then get the mental health? But also when you're requiring them to go, are you really getting the same effect out of it? No, no. I mean, I, I think that's where the edu- or the conversation has to take place. You know, if people are comfortable talking about it, over time or you know repeatedly if it just becomes part of the do you guys even say water cooler conversation anymore uh like in in the cop world they'll call it um uh why, why, why i'm not saying i'm not saying you but guys cops saying. i'm saying you guys your age oh 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 um you know what just, it, you just know bsing yeah you know, like yeah yeah right, right, right. i mean you know just that everyday conversation of mental health you know coming up um and helping people see you know if it's not talked about and then once a year oh i'm supposed to go yeah you know it, it becomes this foreign thing and you know to your your point of cost um i i'm so blessed i mean Wow. I have had the opportunity what four or five times now and these literally fell in my lap to go to businesses and work with them and teach them about um, mental health of their employees and how that affects um, their bottom line. And and I love it. You know, I'm I'm going back to my educator roots again in, in teaching. But, you know, a question that I've been asked is you know, how am I supposed to let these people off work, uh, you know, to go and then they're not showing up to work and, and work's not getting done. And I guess, I guess, again, what you have to look at is down the line, big picture, the cost cumulatively. Um, and same thing, you know, with cops. Yeah. Is it going to cost a little bit right now yes it's no different than investing in infrastructure yeah but the cost later is going to be greater if you don't do something about it now Hmm. that makes sense because if if i build a building now it's going to cost me a thousand dollars now yeah whereas if i build it 10 years from now the cost of materials and labor and everything's more it's going to cost me more in the long run to do that Hmm. right interesting thought process there Um, you know, and, and also one of the battles that I've seen and a question that I wanted to ask that I've been curious about is getting, you know, getting like, uh, especially elected officials to kind of sign on for the extra quote unquote, like rider on, on health insurances, because again, they're trying to cut costs and all this other kind of stuff. And I'm like, and one of the things I'm going to say is, is like, I've experienced 
seen and been trained that everything mental manifests itself physically. So we're going to see people going to the doctor more for anxieties, for stomach issues, for, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, which are going to increase premiums by however much. Whereas if we give them the opportunity for mental health, and again, we can't force them to do it. Right. But one of the things that I'm seeing is, um, you know, like, like they were concerned about like one of the, we, we had an officer that was off for a little bit. And it was like, how are we going to pay for this? And I was like, what? Like, what? What? Why is that even a conversation? Because when when Chad got shot and and Bryant got shot and Corey got shot, mm-hmm. I went back to my office and my boss said, if you need to talk to somebody, we'll we will make it happen. We will get you time off and it will be paid for. Don't you worry about it, one right. way or the other. So to me, that was a foreign concept of like. Why are we even, we're just now having this, con- we're in 2022 and we're just now having this conversation. You're kidding me. Well, okay. So let's go back to the cost again. If you don't get help for them now, what's the cost going to be later when that person who is not healthy physically, mentally is out trying to do their job? I mean, you can look at, you can look at the liability side of things. You can look at the uh, the cost to their physical health to the cost to their mental health i mean it all it all adds up so is it going to cost money now yes but is it going to save you money in the long run yeah it's well, it's just being willing to do it now and we were talking about that secondary traumatic stress compounding yeah. so so now you also have the the compounding stress yeah that when they finally have whatever that catalyst event is that finally breaks them down. Yeah. yeah. Instead of being off work for two weeks yeah. or four weeks, now we're off weeks for six months, or nine months, done. or we're not here at all. Yeah. Um, or we're out another. there doing a job and we shouldn't be out there. Yeah. Yeah. For yeah. sure. And that's, that's the, would be the scary part. Um, yeah. and also I think that would be the rough part in the dichotomy of a leader because, you know, like, like I said, this gentleman that we had, like I was really advocating. You know, with his boss and yeah. just saying like, hey, like if if it, if I were the administrator, here's what I do. And you can take it with a grain of salt and yeah. just like recommending the, all these things. And they followed most of them. Yeah. Not, not all of them. But that, that brings me to my next point was one of the things that was said to the officer was basically you were broken before this catalyst event happened. Like before this event that your brain just said, I'm full, I'm done. Mm-hmm. And like I'm in shutdown mode to the point where he was telling me when he went to put his uniform on, he would be like shaking and right. sobbing and like and but once that was off, like he was good. Wow. And so it was like uh you you didn't shoot and kill anybody, mm-hmm. you know, and you had these issues prior to coming on. This just kind of pushed it over the edge. Yeah. And like kind of almost that like shut up and get back to work. So how, how do you, how do you feel on that when like people come in? Cause you can do all the screening in the world. You want the psychological evaluations and people are good at putting on faces. Yeah. We do it every day. Mm-hmm. So, so how do you feel on that when the sense of like to me and again, the way I feel, which people don't always have to agree with is that moment you were paying that person to do that job. They were there because you put them there. You trained them, you equipped them, you know, all that good stuff. And so essentially, in my mind, we broke them. So it's our job to fix them, even though they may have had other issues. Right. Um, so what are your thoughts on on that? Oh, I absolutely agree with you. I mean, 
we why wouldn't you get them home right well you asked that question but there are a lot of people that say a lot of weird things i know and and i don't get it and it doesn't make any sense to me i know um because you know if you look at it from a pure business standpoint if you look at the person as a number as right. like a profit margin right take care of your employee and they will take care of your customer and right. in my line of work that's whomever you know they're right. on a traffic stop with right so if that person is in a good place mentally they're going to handle somebody with professionalism on the side of the road if they're not in a good place there might be that asshole officer that ends up on youtube which one do you want to deal with or you push that person who who you know everybody has a backstory everybody has something going on in their life you don't know what happened to that person before you pulled them over and you walk up to them and you're an asshole and that's their tipping point. I mean, again, compounding problem, you know? Well, yeah. I mean, we respond to those calls all the time yeah. to where people are in crisis and now law enforcement officers show up and now you're pushing people further into crisis. Like we, we as a profession are good at killing people and obliging them when they want to die. Yeah. Like there are times that it's like, this is not the time to run up there and like take somebody into custody. Yeah. Like this is the time to kind of sit back. You know, they're in a they're in a room by themselves. Do they have a gun? All this other kind of stuff, sure. Yeah. Should do we want them to not have access to that? Sure. Yeah. But like now we're pushing ourselves into that room and I watched a video that that Bill talked about and from Colorado Springs where this guy just unloaded on everybody mm-hmm. because they were forcibly trying to basically commit him yeah. and well, I'm not saying that we should just, well, all right, good luck with that gun. Hopefully don't kill yourself and walk away. Right. We need to kind of stop, slow down, take a step back. And and like I tried to tell Eli all the time, take yourself out of your shoes, look at it in their shoes. Yeah. And like, how would I want this done? How yeah. would I like this handled? And and try to look at it through those lenses and come to an amicable solution, which is not always possible. Yeah. But. Well, and I don't want to oversimplify things because, you know, I... I could never do what you do. You know, I can't imagine what it's like to walk up to a car and you have no idea what you're walking up to or walk into a room or what have you. So, you know, I, I, I don't want to oversimplify it, but you know, I just, I think there's a place for mental health for everybody. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, and another thing is, is like in, in all professions and also in America, in a way, some people wear that like anxiety and some of that mental health stuff, like a badge of honor. Yes. And, and I'm like, like, and I used to be that guy of like, I would work myself to like absolute exhaustion. Yeah. Um, to the detriment of me and right. my family and the right. paychecks were great. Don't yeah. get me wrong. But where, where did that come from? Why, why do people do that? It's society. I mean, people over schedule themselves and, you know, for people to stand up and say, oh, I'm so busy. They were that it's, it's a badge of honor to be able to say that. And it just becomes a societal expectation. Well, we've created a mess. So how does, um, so how as an employer, do you, do you handle that to make sure that, you know, people that aren't going to take time off, like that you're making sure they're getting time off. So like when you're talking about that bottom line with businesses, mm-hmm. Like, um, are you telling them to like encourage taking time off yeah. and stuff like that? Of like, we want you to take time off, please right. do. Right. You know, cause like, uh, my Sarge, he has like 51 straight days of like vacation and that's wow. not counting like comp time and sick time and all that other kind of stuff. Cause just take, never take time off. Yeah. Um, 
but it's it's I don't I also don't understand the wearing wearing burnout essentially like it's yeah. a badge of honor like uh, like I earned this right like, what right <laughs> what there's a lot of things in this world to be proud of that I is know. not one of them and you know I think it's getting better you know people are um as the conversation around mental health um increases I think you know people are getting better about talking about needing time off and in you know it, it depends on the individual and it depends on the profession but um I think it just becomes a matter of people like you and I being more forthcoming about having conversations about that and, you know, just making the workplace an environment where those conversations are supported and welcomed. You know, I, um, part of my spiel that I give to them is teaching them about their brain so that they have a common language that they can talk about, you know, those flip your lid moments or understanding what's going on in, you know, this person's brain when I'm sitting across from you and your lids flipped, you know, creating that common conversation so that they are common vocabulary so they can have those conversations in the workplace. You know, a um, really good question that some business leaders have asked is, you know, how, how do I have this conversation with someone? Maybe I recognize in them that they're not, um, doing well, or, you know, it's not like you can go up and say, Hey, you know, you need to take a day and schedule an appointment with a therapist, you know, um, <laughs> that probably wouldn't be not re be received well. No, no. Um, I think, uh, back to, to my example of when I started school that year, um, my principal, you know, once I was, no, you know, I think it was a year before when things were, my anxiety was increasing he, he was the most caring person. We had a great relationship and he just said to me, you know, you've missed a lot more days of work this year than what you have in the past. And it was not in a critical way. It was in a very caring way. And I was like, you're right. You know, and that was just that person that held up that mirror to me and said, okay, I need to step back and look at this. Why am I missing so much work? And I realized it was, it was my anxiety. And those are the conversations as a business owner or leader that you can have, you know, just getting personal with them about, you know, I recognize something a little different or you haven't been yourself, you know, see where it leads. Well, and, and also when you talk about that common language and stuff, I think it's also good to illustrate points sometimes where, like that this deputy that had time off um the uh you know I was telling him cuz he was feeling guilty about taking that much time off yeah which i get yeah um we definitely very much have that like you know you don't leave anybody behind like you know you're right. you're part of the solution not part of the problem mentality yeah you know we're fixers so right. we literally venture into people's lives and fix it right. which we can't fix our own lives which is interesting but anyway yeah. um as as a whole, as a generic uh, stereotype. Why do you think I sit on this side of the room? And, <laughs> and so uh, I was telling him, you know, because there was another deputy that he'd like blown his knee out on a call, mm -hmm. and nobody questioned that. Nobody like yeah. the 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 doctor said he needed four to six weeks off. That was under and he needed PT, and then as soon as he got signed off on the doctor that his knee was good enough, he'd come back to work. Mm -hmm. Nobody questioned that. Mm -mm. Not a single question. And I told him, I said. The damage to your brain is no different than the damage to his knee. It right. needs time to heal. Yeah. And you have to work a process with a doctor. Right. And, and, and while they're not going in and maybe necessarily making incisions on your brain. Right. 
but you're you're still fixing it and you're fixing it through a number of different ways. Yeah. And there's a process yeah. and then the doctor sets what that process is and the time frame. And then you also have a work fit right. where you they basically give you another psychological examination to ensure that you are, I guess, good, whatever. Yeah. I, I don't know if there's a pass fail on that, but um, or red flags at the very least. Yeah. And then you come back to work. And so I think what I'm, if I'm paraphrasing correctly for you, when you talk about the water cooler conversation is, so as not, and, and, and no matter where you're at, whether mm. you're a leader or whether you're the brand new person at your workplace, is to be able to have those conversations about mental health and like, hey, I've done it. Or I this person has, um, if the person's okay with you talking about whatever, like they've mm. done it. Or we support you if you want to do it. Or talking about the neuroplasticity, talking about the damage to your brain. So that way, when the crisis moment happens, it's like, okay, this isn't taboo. We talk about this all the time. Would that be accurate in the sense yeah. of that's encouraging people more because you're essentially conditioning their brain right. to say like, oh, okay, this is like acceptable. The same yeah. way going to the doctor because I got a cut on my knee and I need it stitched up. Right. Would that be accurate? That's accurate. I was in a, a bank in Wichita for a business meeting uh, group that I belonged to last week and um, they had a sign that said um, mental health is as important to us as your physical health. And I was like, good for you. You know, we need to have more of that. They just make it a priority. And so that leads me into like kind of where our system's at currently. And and one of the things I wanted to discuss with you is I just wanted to put it out there of like I've made this conscious decision that I want to be more active and kind of more of an activist type role for mm -hmm. mental health and not just for cops, but as a society as a whole. Right. Because the reason I say that is it is the one of the most broken things that I think I've ever put my eyes on because our, our mental health system and the way it works. Because the reason I say that is we had a lady that was diabetic and she wanted to kill herself. And so she did so by eating copious amounts of sugar. Like that was how she decided she was going to do it. Mm -hmm. uh, EMS gets dispatched for a diabetic problem, not for the mental health aspect. Right. Takes her to the hot. They take her, transport her to the hospital because her blood sugar is obviously off the, off the charts. Right. At which point, somewhere in that process, they figure out this is how she wanted to try to kill herself. So they do the screening. Um, that we have a tablet that they talk to somebody, and that person makes a decision. You know, like kind of what happens from there. Mm. And basically, if you have if you have health insurance, you're good to go. If you don't have health insurance, you're screwed. Yeah. And and that's what I've kind of found. And so she had health insurance. And they said, okay, the only place we can find in the entire state of Kansas for you to go is Garden City for a voluntary committal. And once she found out she had to go from Lyons, Kansas to four hours away to Garden City, completely yeah. away from her support structure, et cetera, yeah. et cetera, she said no. Yeah. Well, but she's already now been deemed a danger to herself or right. others. Right. And so the hospital's calling law enforcement saying she's leaving against mental or against medical advice. And we're like, and because we're thinking to ourselves when we get dispatched, like somebody came in for a cut or whatever. Right. Like I, I can't just chain somebody to the bed. Thou shalt get stitches. Right. You know? Right. Well, it changes it when a, a mental health professional has said this person is a danger to themselves. Well, now I am required by law to right. take this person into police protective custody. Right. This is where it gets interesting. 
So they said, okay, we'll take her into custody. We agree to that. You know, she's a danger to herself or other. So she's now in custody. Well, now Garden City doesn't take involuntary committals, only voluntary. So Garden City's off the table. Mm. Can't take her. Right. There are five people in line in front of her at Larned. And like I've watched people that are in jail that were waiting to go to Larned. Mm-hmm. They wait for nine months yeah. to get a bed. Right. So they literally had to sit on that lady in the hospital 24 hours a day with an officer just sitting there. Oh, my gosh. And they and that specific agency was down to three officers. They had three officers to cover three shifts. Wow. So they were literally, no officer was patrolling for eight hours a day. Mm-hmm. And they were just handling calls. Like there was the, the one of the officers that weren't working, they would get a call from dispatch. Hey, there's a dog loose at one, two, three main, oh, and they'd have to come out, get dressed and go out. And so what I'm, what I'm like illustrating is, is I really want to become like more active in like, even if there's like, if you hear of any committees or, yeah. or anything at like the, especially the legislative level, like I would love to be a part of that. And yeah. not to say that I have to spearhead anything, yeah, um, but just because I'm watching people that are crying out for help. Right. And they are unable to get it. Like we had a guy that like he cut his arm like so deep, like this way that you could like, like peel it back and look oh, at the insides. Wow. of it. And they were like, yeah. oh, you don't have health insurance. So here, if you feel suicidal, call this 1-800 number, go home. And that's like what we're dealing with as law enforcement officers. Yet you've heard me say on the podcast a million times, we can build a multi-million dollar bypass project north yeah. of Sterling, mm-hmm. but we can't invest in facilities for people to go and do this. And then we're better as a society. Right. As a whole, right. we're more productive. We have more GDP. We have more, we have all this. Yeah. Again, if you want to look at this from the numbers perspective. Yeah. It's that trickle down effect. Again. And, and so it's just absolutely maddening. And that's not the only time we've ever had those issues with yeah. that of where it's like, now what? Because yeah. we literally have nowhere to put anybody. Right. And that's not me advocating that, like, we just need to start taking mass, a bunch of people into custody and putting them into facilities, but at least have the availability for them to go somewhere. Right. Um, And so uh, I just kind of wanted to also ask you, like, what are you noticing with the system and, like, what's broken on your end that you would like to maybe see, like, fixed a little bit better? Like, things that are maybe a little maddening to you. Oh, wow. That's a great question. <laughs> you know. You're on the spot. I know, right? Um, I think that question is probably timely and is going to be maybe clouded by where I'm at in my career. I recently left the group I was part of and I'm out on my own, which I love. But uh, credentialing or um, being able to accept insurance has been an utter nightmare. So I've, I've been able to accept insurance for agencies really off and on since 2008. And I have insurance companies that aren't paying me yet because I had to switch my address. You know, I was part of a group and now I'm by myself. And so I have to start the process all over again. Um, and you know, I, I'm still seeing clients and, and I'm going to be, but not, not all clinicians are in a place where, you know, I can keep seeing clients and, and it'll get sorted out. I'm sure I'll be reimbursed for that. But, you know, 
if if you're um, not in a place where you can see clients and what and you're not sure you're going to be paid for that, they're not going to see clients, and then that affects client care. Something needs to be done with insurance, and I'm going to take that on at some point. You know, I don't know what that's going to look like. <laughs> a few letters here and there. Um, that's that's my frustration. You know, with in insurance is is a whole nother conversation that yeah. we can have um, that's a whole nother podcast probably God, right. <laughs> so yeah that's gonna cloud um my judgment as far as that but you know even i mean even in wichita for um i we had a kiddo when i was still in the school system that um we took to saint joe um Police, you know, took him, but the principal and I were there and we were in the emergency room with that child for three hours before, you know, he could even get a room and or get a bed. And, you know, the, I mean, mine, mine with Eli was six. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's crazy. Yeah. And, you know, like I said, even in Wichita where we have, agencies and hospitals and services you know at our fingertips it it's still not enough well i say even a friend of mine that he works in the dallas metro area mm-hmm. like he was even saying like it's even a struggle here and yeah. like let's face it there is millions and millions if not billions of dollars in the dallas metroplex yeah, yeah. that's floating around you know and that's probably a conversation to have too is you know we keep throwing money and yeah i mean Money is what's necessary in some of these situations, but I think it, you know, something needs to be different um, at the core. You know, we need to be having conversations about what needs to be fixed. Something's broken, broken and throwing money at it isn't necessarily the answer. Yeah. Well, if you just got the, the United States federal government to shut off CNN, MSNBC, Facebook's uh, Instagram, et cetera, yeah. I think you could fix a lot of issues. Yeah. I mean, of course, it's it's not that easy to just right. put a pin in that and yeah. then say that's the problem. Right. But I think that that certainly, again, over and over and over and yeah. over is not helping. Yeah. So, yeah. man, that was a lot of fun. That was fun. I'm really glad we did that. Yeah. We, we got to wrap it up because the computer says there's only 60 hours and 23 minutes of record time left. So we probably better. Oh. <laughs> and I saw you yawn a little bit ago. So, so well, I... Uh, I did not sleep good last night. I I rotated schedules. Yeah. And so I went from a night or an evening shift rotation into a day shift today. So I got off at 11 p.m. and had to be back at work at 7 a.m. Oh, wow. So it's basically like I, I tried to illustrate. I illustrated it to my wife one time when she's like, just come home and go to bed. She's like, just go to bed. And I said, I said, babe, that's like you coming home at 5 p.m. and me expecting you to go to bed. Yeah. Like you get the opportunity to grab a bite to eat. Right. Watch some TV shows. Get the kids ready for bed, get your decompressed time, whatever. Like I want the same thing. I don't. So, so that shift sometimes is kind of tough for me to get to sleep. So that wasn't, that yawn was in no way pointed at you. Just so you know. (laughs) Listen, I didn't, I didn't take it that way. And a yawn you should never apologize for. You know, it's your body telling you that you, your nervous system needs something different. So yeah, right now my nervous system needs sleep. There you 100%. go. 100%. There you go. Um, and plus, I have to go get my son from a friend's house, and I told him I'd be there by 9. So oh, okay. probably should honor that. Okay. Yeah. Even though I know we could keep going, but we, could. we, we need to keep going with Ted here, too. Because I, I know it's something that like he's passionate about as he well. He is. Yeah. 
and and seeing his viewpoints as well as like his humor that he mixes in with it yeah. like it just grabs your attention just in general yeah and not to mention he's not hard to look at so right that helps i yeah. always say he's my hottie with a body <laughs> <laughs> i could just imagine him he blushes and i say he's gonna kill me that i said that. <laughs> love you ted because we, we know you. you're listening <laughs> So, well, I think we'll just uh, wrap it up from here. Sounds I was great. hoping Nate was going to come in mid-podcast. I was like, dude, just come in no. mid-podcast, man. God. But he doesn't love us. I so. was one of those people with that schedule. I need to leave a card for him, too. <laughs> well, uh, hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. And, uh, you know, this was a podcast that we've been really looking forward to for a really long time. I know Janine has. We've been talking about it a lot and just finding a time to get together. And I just text out of nowhere. And she said yes. And I was like, yes. Yeah. And we got it done. So uh, just, again, we're past 3,000 listens. And we are just truly humbled at everybody that listens and just gives their time. And um, we just want to just do our best to just be genuine and try to help the best way that we can. And so thank you very much. Leave us a rating and a review. Uh, share our podcast with your friends. Uh, if this resonated with you, the only thing we ask is that you just share it. And, you know, just get those messages out there. Let people be able to, like, realize that, the mental health isn't taboo that it's that it's okay to you know uh, uh be you know uh, i guess uh damaged or hurt you know the same way that you're you would hurt your knee or your elbow or you know cut your cut your skin so um just check us out on on facebook at the higher points podcast on instagram at the higher points and our website www.thehigherpoints.com don't forget we're renting the studio out so if you want to start a podcast, cough, cough, Ted, and you want to, you know, record some podcasts, uh, we will let you use our equipment and, uh, that way you don't have to invest in it or even really know how to do it. We can do everything for you and then you can just post everything. So thanks again, Janine, for being here. Thank uh, you. And we'll catch up with you guys next time. Bye.